Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Welcome to Parentless Podcast. Please note that in this show, you may hear graphic descriptions or language that may not be appropriate for everyone. Listener discretion advised. My name is Martine Jean. I live in Los Angeles, California. I'm originally from Capaisien, Haiti. And I've lived in a couple of states. I lived in Florida, and then I moved to Ohio, where I was for a number of years. And then now I'm in sunny California. This is a fact in the ducks on your city. I really appreciate you stopping in. Thank you. Who is your person who died for you? My mother is uh, the person who died. She is the closest person I've had in, in terms of um, family relationship that, that I've had who's, who's passed away. My mother passed away about eight years ago now. Uh, it was March um, 2012. Yeah. So it's, it's been a while. It's been a few years since she passed away. And how old were you and how old was she? At the time, she was 55 years old. And at the time, I was 34 years old. Her name is Veronique. And um, Veronique is French for Veronica, basically. So, yeah. <laughs> did, she, did she like to go by that or did she let people call her Veronica? Um, everyone called her Véronique. Uh, uh, the, the nickname that she was most fond is Véo. So in Haiti, a lot of people just call her Véo, which is just V-E-R-O. And then a handful of people called her Nikki, just Véronique. They, they called her Nikki. Um, that she didn't like very much. <laughs> but Véo was, is what was used most often and what she preferred. And what, what happens you know, my mother was, she was very ill. Um, she's one of those people that just had a slew of medical conditions. She had high blood pressure. She had high cholesterol. She was diabetic. 
she was a lifelong smoker, like literally a pack a day, if not more per day, um, her entire life. I remember there was a time where she joined me in Ohio and she got very sick and I took her to the doctor. She ended up getting hospitalized. And while she was in the hospital, she was trying to pull a cigarette to smoke. And literally the nurse looked at her. I think the nurse was kind of frustrated at that point. And the nurse looked at her and said, do you want to die? And I'm like, uh, no, yeah, don't say that to her. But still, I had to talk to her. And it's, it's, it's that weird period in your life where you kind of become the parent. And I didn't think that would happen early on for, for my mother, because again, she was in her fifties and like, you know, but, but it, I had to talk to her and say, no, you can't smoke in here. You have to stop smoking. And I, I was just preaching all the time about the dangers of cigarettes, et cetera. She kind of deteriorated from there, from the time she was in Ohio with me and got very sick. She started getting sicker. The thing is that her behavior also got very erratic. Um, she didn't want to stay in Ohio, which I completely understood because she did not speak English at all. She had no friends. And when she came to stay with me, it was February. So it was cold and it was weather that she's not used to. And it was actually her first time seeing snow was when she, she joined me in Ohio. So that was like a big discovery for her. And she was just amazed when she first saw it. And then about... Three days later, she's like, okay, I'm over this. It's very cold. I don't want to. It doesn't take long. <laughs> no. So it took three days. She's like, what? I have to wear a, a like a hat and gloves every time I, no, I, I refuse. I don't want to be here. And it was, and she was a little bit isolated because it, there wasn't a, a Haitian community in Columbus, Ohio, where I was living at the time. And it was very difficult for her. And so her behavior got a little bit erratic. Um, so she ended up leaving and, you know, going to Florida to stay with other family members. And then she just wanted to do whatever she wanted. I think she kind of felt that sometimes you get, you just kind of feel the end is near. I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but some people just kind of feel it and they just feel like they're running out of time. And so they feel like they should do everything that they've ever wanted to do. And she kind of started acting like that. And I, I could not understand why. And then all of a sudden I heard, oh, she's over here. She's over there. She flew to Haiti. She flew, I'm like, what is happening? And then finally she flew to Haiti and then she wanted to come back. She wanted me to buy her plane ticket. And there were some difficulties there because I had moved to California and, and, and at the time my expenses were a lot and I couldn't find work. And I'm like, uh, I can't, do, I can't do this. I can't. So she ended up staying in Haiti longer than anticipated. And then her illness just kind of deteriorated very quickly. And her and I, we've always had a really tense relationship. And I remember a couple of days before she passed away, I actually called, you know, she was staying with her sister, who's my aunt. And I called my aunt to see how she was doing. And I said, Hey, let me talk to her. And I could hear her in the background say, I don't want to talk to her. And that was the last time I heard her voice. She was in Haiti when, when she passed away and I was in California. Does that have some lasting impact on you that that was the last thing that you... You, you know, it definitely does be, because, again, we had a, a really tense relationship. And the reason we had a tense relationship is because she didn't raise me. It's very... I mean, it, it's not that difficult to explain, but really, when we think about different 
social classes, social economic classes. And the U.S., we don't think about it this, that much. And the reason we don't is because the middle class is, is so huge that we think, oh, the 1% or whatever. But in Haiti, it's, it's quite obvious. It's a stratified society wherein you can see the rich. It's obvious. It's in your face. And you can see the poor. It's obvious. It's in your face. And so my parents were from two different classes, socioeconomic classes. And so when my mother got pregnant, it was this big thing like, oh, my God, he impregnated, la, la, la. Um, and I think when I was three months old, my, my father's family took me away from my mother to raise me. And I was kind of cut off from her for many years. And I remember when I was little, she, she would come to visit occasionally. She would come and spend a few hours and then she would disappear for months or years. And then finally, I think when I turned about 13 or so, I wanted to get to know her a little bit more. So I sat down with my father's family. I said, hey, I, I want to go live with her and find out who she is and all of that. And I, I had an opportunity to do that. Uh, and I got to know her a little bit on and off. And then I ended up leaving, coming to the United States after high school for college and being with my father, et cetera. So I, we never really had a close relationship. And so when she passed away, I had all kinds of regrets. You know, I had all kinds of regrets and I had all kinds of just not having had the opportunity to talk to her about certain things for her, not giving her an opportunity to explain certain things. And also not not going, I, I, I didn't go to her funeral either because at the time um, there was a lot of uh, political unrest in Haiti. And so it was very difficult for me to, to go to attend her funeral. So I ended up not going. So that was also a source of regret for me. And it's been years I've been trying to understand a lot of things, just talking to different family members, asking a lot of questions. And, I, and I'm slowly starting to understand some of her decisions and some of the things that she did, where initially I was looking at her like, you, what, what is wrong with this woman? <laughs> but, you know, now, I mean, the older I get, the more I'm like, OK, I, I get it. It wasn't the best decision, but for her and at that time, it was probably what she thought was best. And I can't fault her for that. Tell me a little bit about, about how you used to feel about having children and how you feel yeah. about now. You know, I never wanted any. I was just like, I don't, I, I don't see the point. I, I have my career. I'm going to focus on, on that. Um, and then the older I, I, I got, you know, especially after she passed away, the more I was like, oh, you know, I have so much love to give to a child. I have so much that I think I can share um, with a child. It's so it's 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 been eating at me for the past few years to the point where I'm like, oh, my God, am I running out of time? What's happening? But certainly my stance on that has changed. I was her only child. Um, so so that's the other thing for me as well. It's, it's so now I, I'm I, I've been thinking about it more and more the past few years. Things happen in life where, you know, you, you felt one way last year, you feel differently this year. You know, it's you, you grow and you change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are you do you have a significant other? I do not. That's what makes it even more difficult. <laughs> 
because you're like, uh, now what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's hard in Los Angeles, California. It's an uphill battle. If literally, if you're not 22 and a size two <laughs> in LA, it's, it's, it's slim pickings. It's, it really is. I've never been to LA, but I, I've heard, you know, a few people talk about it and yeah. I can only imagine, I guess. And then right now, I mean, where, where are you really supposed to find something? <laughs> yeah, forget it now. For, I mean, this year I've, I've written the year off. I'm like, meh, Any, whatever I had planned, we'll think about that in 2021. So yeah, not happening at all. I came to the U.S. at 18 years old, okay. um, right after high school. I moved and I started college at a community college in Florida and then from there, I transferred to the Ohio State University. <laughs> and tell me, what did you get your degree in there? I got a degree in communications, and then I went to law school there. And I got my Juris Doctor, and then took the bar exam, passed it, and I practiced law in Ohio before I moved to Los Angeles. So that was something that I noticed because I was reading your on your website and I saw that you hold your license in Ohio and I know that you don't live there. So tell me, what was it about Ohio and law, practicing law and everything that you decided just to stop that and move on and do something different? Uh, primarily the weather. I am a Caribbean girl and I actually loved Columbus, Ohio. I loved living there. It's it's not a small town and it's not a big city. Easy living is what I like to call it because the cost of living is low. Um, the salaries are high. I love fall. So when the leaves are changing, that was my absolute favorite time to be in, in Columbus, Ohio. The people are nice and friendly. I really enjoyed living in Columbus, Ohio. However, Every winter, I was sick with the flu or cold, or it, and then it would get dark early in the day. It would get gray, and I would get depressed, and I just couldn't deal with it anymore. I couldn't deal with it. And as much as I loved Ohio, I, after a while, I just had to get out of there. But I will say, too, that even with um, going to law school and becoming an attorney, I've always had an interest in the entertainment industry. So even while I was practicing law in Columbus, Ohio, I was doing plays and I was doing um, little industrials for companies and little local commercials and all of that. Um, so when I decided to leave, um, you know, I thought, OK, I'm going to I want to go somewhere where it's warmer all year long. But maybe this is also the, the time to pursue my other interests. And so um, California was the natural choice for me. Yeah, that is interesting because I mean, I live in Phoenix. And so a lot of the people that I meet, I didn't I didn't grow up here either. And so a lot of the people I meet here, they were from the Midwest. And it was really just the weather that really got to them. <laughs> yeah. And, and now in California, I mean, I, I love it, but uh, the earthquakes are like. <laughs> and then even in Florida with the. You know, there's just really no happy balance. Right. And they have the hurricanes and they have this. And I remember when I lived in Florida, uh, when I first uh, uh, immigrated, they had cicadas and all the time and the love bugs. And 
um, crocodiles walking to your front door. It was just like, what is happening? <laughs> so, I mean, there are problems everywhere, really. You just have to find what works for you and what you can tolerate and live with it. You said you weren't around your mom when you were growing up. So you had your dad's family. Did, did your dad have a wife? So when I when I refer to my dad's family, I'm referring to literally his parents. Okay. Yeah, his family. So they were the ones that that raised me. But my father did get married and he had another child. So I do have a half brother on my father's side. We don't get along, uh, not because anything bad happened, just because we weren't raised together. We don't really know each other. The thing that happened too after I was born is that my father was immediately sent to live to the U.S. And so while his family was raising me in Haiti, he was in the United States. And that's when he got married in the United States and he had a child, another child in the United States, my half-brother. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. I will say that at some point, my father moved back to Haiti. And that happens a lot with Haitian immigrants is that sometimes they think, okay, the country is calmer now, um, so maybe I can go back and live. And so my father moved back to Haiti, and he was there for a few years, and I, I was with him for a couple of those years. And then, you know, things took a, a turn for the worse again in Haiti, so he relocated back to the United States. So there, are, there were a couple of years when my brother and I were living together in the same house, but um, his mother hated me, so... <laughs> It is what it is. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> okay, I got to be real with you. You know what? I don't want your money, but I, I made this page and I really want somebody to go look at it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a sneak peek to some exclusive videos, some behind the scenes things that are happening on the show and upcoming guest information. Just visit www.patreon.com slash parentlesspodcast and find these little snippets that are going to be available to everyone. How do you feel like your life has been changed by the death of your parents, of your mom? So I think in, in many ways I've become more compassionate and I also don't take things personally like I used to before. And I think it's, it's because... Um, after my mother passed away, I really started examining my life, but also started piecing together her life, just from stories from other family members, 
um, trying to get a, a better picture of who she was, um, especially during those years when I was not with her. Um, and for a while, I really resented her a lot. Um, not just because, oh, you didn't raise me, you let other people raise me, but just for a lot of the decisions that she also made along the way. And then even when I became an adult um, and I reached out to help her, um, I ended up applying for a visa for her and I brought her to the United States. Um, even then, it didn't feel like a, a, a mother-daughter relationship. It did not feel like a parent to me. And I was yearning for a parent and I could not get that. And I could, it, in my, I could, I couldn't process it in my brain, but I honestly don't, I feel like some, some people are just not equipped to be parents. They're not, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it just so happens that some people are not equipped to be parents and she was not. And after she had me, you know, I was raised by, raised by someone else. So she was doing her own thing. She never had other children. So when I, when, when I did, you know, as an adult, I brought her to live with me, but she was still not equipped. <laughs> she just wasn't. Everything that she did, I took it personally. Like, oh, you know, she did this because she didn't love me. She didn't want me. She didn't this. She didn't that. And it, it literally, it wasn't until after she passed away that I really started thinking about this. I'm like, you know, you, you, I put myself in her shoes and so a lot of her decisions I would not have made, but I understand why she made them, you know, and, and I accept them. There's not much I can do about that. I accept them. Um, and I forgive her and I also forgive myself. It has allowed me to do the same with everyone. <laughs> you know, people do something and I used to just take things so personally, like, oh my God, you, you did this because you want, no, now I'm like, okay, you know, I, you, you try to understand it. And if I don't understand it, I'm like, okay, it is what it is. And you just move on. And, and, and that's that. And there's just a certain freedom in that for me. So that like her death has, has impacted me quite a, quite a bit. I think um, there are some days where I, I lionize her. And, and by that, I mean um, some of the things that she did in her life. I, I Because I'm in the entertainment industry, I kind of see it as a movie and I kind of glamorize it. And I have to check myself <laughs> and say, no, no, that's not that's not what this is. This is the reality. And, you know, you, you have to confront it and you have to deal with it and you have to live with it. I really like that you said that you were able to forgive others, but also yourself. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing that probably just lifts a weight from you. And yeah. and I, I tend to see, maybe as we all do, but I really see the things in other people that I would like to have in myself. Yeah. And that's one thing, you know, I don't I don't know that I've, I've reached that point where I've forgiven myself, you know. So I really like to see that for you. You feel a little more free to me. I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> no, there's a lot of freedom in that. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're just living your life as a prisoner to, to things that you can't control. Um, and I, I had to find ways to stop that for sure. Do you, do you remember some of those ways? I write a lot. And there was a time when I was writing a lot of poetry. But now, uh, you know, 
working in the entertainment industry, I write a lot of screenplays. Um, and that's what that's what I do. I know that I probably need therapy, but <laughs> in the meantime, um, I've written some screenplays where I deal with that issue head on. Um, I have one that that I wrote that hopefully I'll shoot maybe by the end of the year or, or early next year when things settle down a little bit in the world. Um, but it's literally it's a mother daughter relationship. It's a horror film. Um <laughs> It's a horror film, but it's about a mother and a daughter and it's about forgiveness and it's about letting go so you can heal. So does the daughter kill the mom? <laughs> can you say? <laughs> okay. So- I, I can say there is killing. <laughs> That's my thing. If it's like, like Chucky always weirded me out. I don't know why. And yep. then like if my kids talk about death or things like that. Any movie or anything that deals with a kid and a parent, like that's that's where I go. So, yep. When that comes out, let me know. I'll, I'll absolutely. I'll check it out. I'll just like <laughs> not watch all parts, but <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. What is one thing that you would tell your mom now, if you could? I think one thing I would tell her is that I love her, and that's something I I never said to her, and she never said to me. Uh, not only because we did not have a close relationship. Her generation of Haitians is not very, um, they're not like that at all. They're not affectionate at all. Now, my generation and the generations after me, I think we've learned from that. And so I see my friends who are Haitian or my aunt, my cousins with their children, they're very loving and they make it a point to express to their children that they love them and to, to show it to their children because they know that we, our generation, we didn't grow up with that because our Haitian parents are not affectionate. They're not going to say it and they're not going to show it. And to them, the way they show it is, I feed you. I give you a roof over your head. You have a bet. What more do you want? Like what? <laughs> is that not enough? What do you want? This is it. This is it. That's what it is for that generation. So I I certainly would say that to her. I would say those words to her. But I would also tell her that I understand. I understand. Everything that happened, every decision that she made, I disagree with for the most part. But I absolutely understand. I and and that that's the most important thing I could say to her. Uh, and that's one of the regrets I still carry today is that I never had the chance to look at her and say, hey, I understand. I get it. That's big. Absolutely. That's the only thing I wish I could say is that I get it. Even even more than more so than I love you, because I, I think in saying I understand, I'm also saying that I love you when I say mm-hmm. I totally understand and I get it. Do you know any of her favorite things or if if she had like a phrase that she would say a lot? Smoking was a big thing. She also had a machete that she always had in her home. Which is, well, that's unique. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> well, if you if you know Haitian women for the most part, it's not that unique. Well, yeah. <laughs> like in Haitian culture. But she always had one, which is fascinating. And she was a, a very elegant woman. Her appearance was very important to her. And that was a big problem 
with me because she was looking at me like, what is wrong with you? What is, <laughs> can you, would it kill you to comb your hair and do this and put it on a dress? It was always, you know, I, I was kind of the opposite of her, but the older I get, the more I feel like I'm becoming her. I really am. Because even today, like I said, I was like, oh, let me put on some lipstick for this. And <laughs> it's like, what? 10 years ago, I would never. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was quite an elegant woman. Of very, she was coquette, I guess is the French word. She was coquette. And everyone knew that. And all of her friends and everyone. And now a lot of people who knew her, they're finding me on Facebook, right? And they're like, oh, you're Veronique's daughter. You know, your mother was very beautiful. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> uh, I'm waiting. Like, I'm very beautiful, too. Thank I you. Like, just like my mom. Like, yeah. what? They, they literally just stop as your mother was very beautiful. I'm like, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh. Well, I think you're very beautiful. So well, thank you <laughs> for all those people who don't say it. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> I know. I know. Thank you. <laughs> and and are these people who like, I mean, did you know them at all? Or it's literally just because they knew your mom? Most of them, it's because they knew her. And some of them I did meet, but I don't know very well. The interesting thing is that I feel like a lot of those people, they got something that I didn't get. Because those are people who talk about her like she was so wonderful. She was so marvelous. She helped me with this. She helped me with that. She did this for me. She did that for me. And then some of them call her mommy, which is kind of like mom when you, in, in Haitian Creole. And I'm just, it just blows my mind because I feel like I was robbed of something that they benefited from because they knew a side of her that I really did not know very well at all. So yeah, it always amazes me when someone contacts me and says, you know, your mother did this for me. Your mother did that for me. Your mother was this, your mother was that. I'm like, okay, that's, that's amazing. (laughs) And I don't know that this matters, but I have to ask it. Would they have known her in the time like that you would have been young or when you would have been like a teenager or or was it just throughout... It, it's throughout. It's definitely mm-hmm. throughout. Um, but the people that I that are reaching out to me more on Facebook, they they probably met her when when I was a teenager, and that's when they got to know her. Know her. But she seems to be quite nurturing with them. Um, not in a uh, like Haitians are not very outwardly, you know, kissing and I love you and all of that. But she was quite nurturing to quite a few of them, um, and they've been very open about it and they've let me know this quite often usually on mother's day haitians we celebrate mother's day on a different day than the u.s so usually on haitian mother's day if i post on facebook all of them come and comment (laughs) you know your mother was this and your mother was i'm like okay you say this every year i get it (laughs) we're like i really wish i would have known that mom I know. Like, yeah, that's good for you. But um, you know that it's those are just ways that I I got to know her after she passed away, just through other people, such that I'm like, okay, maybe she did develop some motherly instincts for other people, just not for me. You know, so it is what it is. Yeah, man, that could either that could either fester up and become something, or 
not, but it is. And I say that a lot, like it is what it is. And, and, and as I'm going, you know, in my future and especially with other people's lives, I'm able to say that, or, or even with mine, my, both of my parents are dead and it is what it is. Like nothing's going to change. But when I go back in my past and I think about that stuff, that's where I kind of want to like dwell in whatever, feeling bad about how I acted and all that stuff. But there's no, I know there's no reason for it, but. There isn't, there isn't. Um, and, and it's, it's a constant battle. It really is. As much as I say, yes, I'm over this, I'm over it. But literally there are days that you're like, okay, I need to work extra hard to get past this and not think about this right now. If some people choose to remember their loved one on like their birthday or their death day or anything. Do you, do you do anything like that? No, I only, uh, I, I acknowledge Mother's Day. That's the day that I, uh, that I, that I, actively make sure that I do something to remember her. Um, I do, I don't do it on her death, uh, nor do I do it on her birthday. On Mother's Day, I certainly do, which is interesting now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, on Mother's Day, I do. Yeah, you know, and she, she never celebrated her birthday. Um, so it was not, it was not a big thing. Even, you know, when she came to live with me in Ohio, you know, it, it was, it was never a big thing. Her birthday was never a big thing. So um, I, I don't, I don't do anything for her birthday at all. Did she have any favorite smell, sight, taste, sound, anything that reminds you of her? You know, she, she was really a big lover of perfumes. I, I don't know which one specifically, but because of that, I, I think it's because of that. I have an obsession with perfumes and even now during the, um, like I, I live in, in Los Angeles and there was a stay at home order since March, literally stay home. You can't go anywhere. And when I've, I've had to work, I'm, I'm still working from home and having zoom calls and all of that. Um, I wake up as if I was heading to work just because I want to make sure that I keep a routine. Otherwise, I would just wallow in sorrow and depression. <laughs> but I wear perfume. And I'm and it, it wasn't until like literally months into it, like this started in March. It wasn't until in the summer in July. I'm like, why am I wearing perfume every day? Like who's smelling it? I'm the only one smelling it. I live by myself. And I could not explain why, but I still do it. I wake up and like shower, put clothes on and I wear perfume. And that was her thing. She was very big on perfume, like very great smelling perfumes. She was obsessed with them. And I, I think I kind of got that from her where I'm, I'm obsessed with perfumes. <laughs> I like that. I was just having the conversation of like, normally every year, you know, I, I go and I, for that's my wedding anniversary present as I go get like some nice expensive perfumes. Yeah. And um, now I have like two squirts left probably. And I just haven't worn it for like seven months. And maybe like, <laughs> right, right. I, I'm wearing perfume every day. It changes my entire demeanor because, you know, the minute I, I put my work clothes on and I put perfume on it's like okay let's go let's do this every single time so uh, yeah it's very odd but it works for me <laughs> she was obsessed with coffee she would drink coffee in the morning she would drink coffee in the middle of the night it was it did not matter and she actually did not like much sugar in her coffee at all sometimes she would even put a little bit of salt in her coffee so 
I hated coffee. I hated the smell. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand people, people like their breath after they had coffee. I was just like, please stay away from me. And then while I was in law school, in order to stay awake to, to read the hundreds of pages per day we were assigned, I started drinking coffee just to, to stay awake. And then I became addicted to coffee as well. And now I drink coffee probably a few times a day. I have a cup of coffee. Um, I don't put salt in it like she does, but I don't put sugar in it either. Um, I like it just black coffee, bitter every day, several times a day. Well, it worked for her and it works for you. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That that is really interesting, though, that that's something that you kind of despise to begin with and now I you're- hated it so much oh and then growing up in Haiti too one thing people do is they dunk their bread in the coffee and then they like most Haitians and I just hate it like I hate seeing the bread soaked and like oh god hated it hated it and now look at me <laughs> well I mean I hope you don't soak your bread in it do you I don't do that. No. Okay. See, you're on top of the game. Uh, my four-year-old, he's an expert at soaking things in milk. So I, I really, I'm with you there. And I hate seeing things drenched. I, I hate it so much. It looks so gross. And you said that that maybe you might need therapy. So you, you haven't ever been to therapy or counseling then? No, but but I, I mean, I, I know that I probably could use uh, some some kind of therapy of some sort, because I definitely have, I think, a fear of abandonment to the point where I try not to nurture long-term relationships because I don't want to be abandoned. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, true. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's something it, it took me years to realize that's what I was doing. Like friendships, it, it, the people that I still have who are still friends with me and who have been friends with me for many years, it's literally because they worked to be my friend. They literally were like, we're not giving up on you. <laughs> not because I did anything to them, but because I never actively did anything to nurture the relationship and to keep the relationship going. My attitude has always been it. I can take it or leave it. You want to leave? Bye. You want to say? Great. But but if they're in my life, it's because they're actively like, yeah, we're still here. We're we're still here. Even if you we're still here, what are you we're still here? So I, I definitely need to like I, I, I joke about it sometimes. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to make friends, but it's it's a lot I I know that it's a lot deeper than that. Mm-hmm. I do. I do. And I, I mean that translates it it's friendships, romantic relationships, you name it, Um, uh, jobs, (laughs) the jobs I'm usually like, I can take it or leave it. (laughs) It is what it is. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I feel you on on the relationship part. Like I don't read, I have family, but they're all in different states. I don't call them, you know, if they're calling me, if anything, and they're lucky if I answer the phone. Right. Uh, (laughs) And same with my friends. I'm like, hey, sorry, I'm thinking about you, but um, (laughs) I haven't told you about it. Yeah. And, 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 and sometimes it's, it's like, you're genuinely busy because you have so many other things to do, especially for you, you have small children and and a spouse, et cetera. But for me, it's like, eh. But I, I get, I mean, yeah, I understand. Like I never really thought I was going to get married either because I was like, okay, well, they're either going to die on you or they're going to leave you some other way. So why would you want to put yourself through like all of that 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Relationship stuff if they're just going to leave. So, exactly. okay. Exactly. And, and, I, and I, I don't even think I ever had all of that thought process. It was just for me, like, take it or leave it. You know, it is what it is. I, you know, let, let me just go on with, with life. But then the older you get, the more you're like, oh, you know, I really wish I had a ton of friends and a ton of this and a ton of that. So it, I'm a work in progress. I'm, I'm working on it, but I certainly think that I could benefit from a pro. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, me too, but I'll probably never go to therapy. So that's why I really enjoy like talking to other people. Exactly. So yeah. this has been a fun little journey in that, in that manner. We'll be right back. <laughs> if you like what you've heard so far, tell me about it by sharing the show with your friends, leaving a review or sharing your story with me. Contact me on Facebook and Instagram at Parentless Podcast email at parentlesspodcast at gmail.com, or if you'd like to remain anonymous, leave a voicemail at 623-396-6069. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. So now I want to hear, tell me everything you do. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. Well, because of the state of the world, I do have some spare time. So I, in my work life, I am an unscripted television producer. So I do a lot of reality shows. Um, no, you don't. Can you say no. what they are? No. Here's what I will say. I don't do the housewives types of reality shows. I do stuff that's on uh, Discovery ID. Like, uh, there's a show that I worked on that's on Discovery Motor Trend. It's called Drone Wars. And it's literally about teams building drones and then flying them in in uh, different competitions. I produced another show called Geared Up that's also on Discovery Motor Trend. So it's stuff like that. Like um, we had a show, for instance, uh, where it's airing in Turkey now, hopefully in the U.S. soon. But it's literally a show we shot off the coast of, the, of Georgia and the Carolinas. And, and it's about these fishermen who only fish for jelly balls. And jelly balls are not even a thing in the U.S., but they are huge in Asia. And for about three to four months out of the year, those fishermen, they only fish for jelly balls and then they sell it to China, to Japan, to different countries in Asia. And that's their income for the year. <laughs> so, What's a jelly ball? It's literally a slimy ball that's in the ocean. 
And apparently in Asia, it's a delicacy. They eat it, they dry it and make medicine with it. They make all kinds of stuff with it. It's a huge thing. But in the U.S., no one cares about it. So those fishermen, that's how they make a living. They're, they specialize in that. And for three to four months of the, out of the year, they just go out, they fish for jelly balls, and then they sell it for a lot of money to Asian countries. So we had a show where we followed them during a jelly fishing season. You know, it had its ups and its downs. And then we went to, to their homes, you know, to meet their families and all that stuff. So it, it's, it's, it's a world that few people know about. So a lot of the, the, the reality shows I do are docuseries that are uh, like that. In, in that same vein. So when I'm not doing that, I am working on scripted stuff. So I am writing my own scripts um, for either scripted television shows or for feature films. I've written and directed a couple of short films myself that I've released. A couple of them are on my website. And then I started my own podcast that has to do with film as well, only because just being in LA, you know, there's there are the million dollar films that, that you hear about, like the big blockbuster films that cost $50 million, $100 million budgets. And then there are the independent filmmakers who make money, who, who make their films by borrowing from their parents and using their parents' homes to shoot <laughs> and uh, using their parents' car. And they'll make a movie for $20,000. They'll make a movie for $10,000. So I was interested in those people. And I wanted to know how they're making their films. So I started a podcast um, called Film Bug. And I talked to them about making movies on either no budget at all or a micro budget, which is quite a feat in Los Angeles. And some of those movies are getting picked up. Some of them are on Netflix. Some of them are on Amazon. Um, and you look at them and, and some of them, you can't tell that they were made for $10,000 or $20,000. But the filmmakers go through so much when they're making those films. It's shocking that they're even able to complete the film, you know, because there's so many obstacles when you're, you're trying to make something with so little money and you need permits, but you don't have money for permits. And, uh, you know, you, you, you need to pay a crew, but you don't have money to pay a crew. So you end up doing it with your friends and then you need to feed everybody every day, but you don't have money to have a caterer like a normal set would. And so your grandma is, is the one cooking every day for your crew. You know, there's one woman I, I was talking to her about her film and, you know, she said she had a crew, but they were shooting outside of Chicago and she didn't have anywhere to put them to sleep. She couldn't afford a hotel room. So she found a Bible camp and <laughs> the Bible camp was like, yes, you can all come and sleep there for free. But they had to sleep on bunk beds. And these are adults, like professionals working in the industry. They all had to sleep on bunk beds for nine days while, while they were shooting a film, you know? So th those are the stories that I'm interested in. So I do, I do my podcast. Um, I write, I hike when I have time, uh, which is that's one of the things I like about Southern California. It's like hiking. You can do that all day, all night. There are hiking trails everywhere. So yeah, that's, that's what I do. So what level of hiking do you do? I've never gone hiking once, uh, <laughs> but I'd like to try like an easy, super easy trail, but I watched a yeah. video of like this lady climbing rocks and holding on to like a rope on the side of a cliff. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. Level. Yeah, no, I don't do that. <laughs> 
I do very easy stuff. Runyon Canyon is huge in Los Angeles. Um, the only reason I don't like Runyon is because a lot of people bring their dogs and they take the dogs off a leash. And when I was six years old, I was bitten by the family dog and I never got over it. <laughs> so whenever I go to, to Runyon, I'm stressed out the entire time because there are dogs everywhere off their leash and they're playing, they're running, and I'm just terrified the entire time. And then there are easier hikes, like in Orange County, for instance, they have like Peters Canyon or Hicks Canyon. It's just simple walks, basically. You can walk for four miles, five miles, and and then come back, and, and that's pretty much it. But um, climbing rocks, that's a no for me. <laughs> yeah, they called it hiking, but she sure was going up a lot of rocks. So yeah, like, no, I don't do that at all. I don't do that. <laughs> so do you enjoy your, I'm just going to go with probably you do, your career now versus your career in Ohio? you enjoy this more? I do. I do enjoy it a lot more because it allows me to be more creative which I, I did not have that luxury when I was working in the legal world. I will say that my law degree has opened a lot of doors for me. I've gotten positions that I would not have gotten had I not been an attorney. And there is actually a lot of legal work involved in being a producer on a television show because in I, I deal with contracts a lot. Contra contracts for crew, contracts for cast, contracts for locations, <laughs> uh, for vendors, all of that I deal with, even though the company I'm with has, they have a legal department, but I work with the legal department very closely. Number one, because the legal department knows that I'm an attorney. And number two, just because, you know, you, you have to discuss the minutia of contracts with the legal department so that they know how should this be worded? What should we include in it? Um, especially if you have contracts that are different from the norm, then you have to have a very close relationship with the legal department. So I end up using my law degree quite a bit. And I've actually been tempted. I, I didn't take the bar in California, but I've been tempted to take it in, in California. I've applied for it. And then every time I think about actually studying for it, I'm like, oh, God. Why? Why? Then I already did this. I know what it's about. I know, but 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 the the bigger question for me is, I don't need it. You know, mm -hmm. it really would kind of be like just for bragging rights. That's why I would do it. So I I've had second thoughts, but I registered for it. Um, you know, and maybe one day I'll I'll sit for it. But who knows? Not right now. So you just have to register once, and then you s no, you register, and then um. I think you have three years to take it. And if you don't take it, it expires and then you have to apply again. And uh -huh. I've done I've done this already, trust me. And then it expired and then I applied again. And then, um, you know, once you apply, they have to do a whole thing again with the character and fitness. And you have to tell them where you've lived since you were 18 years old, what jobs you've had since you were 18. But, and it, it's a lot to remember and to write down. And, and then they do... FBI background check and this background check and that background check. And then they call people that, you know, and just to vet you and ask all these questions. And um, it's very involved and it's costly because I think in total it, it ends up being like $3,000. And then if you take the, the review classes, that's probably another $2,500 to $3,000 for the review courses. But I've never, I've never gone 
forward. I, you know, I've thought about it. Like I said, I've registered twice and I've chickened out. <laughs> but hey, it's always good to be registered just in case. You decide. Yeah. And, you know, even now it, 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 you know, the whole exam has been changing for the past few years. If you're already licensed elsewhere, you get to take the attorney exam. And the attorney exam used to be one day as opposed to the three days that it takes to take the exam. And then as of last year, the exam itself, I think, was reduced to two days and the attorney exam was still one day, no problem. And then this year, because of the pandemic, all of a sudden the exam is remote, which is shocking to me. This is new. I'm like, what? And and uh, I think you know people who were registered, they just took it actually earlier this week. And they were able to take it from home, from their computers. And they had to keep their cameras on, like the cameras watching every move that you make. And then apparently they're going to review the cameras for each person afterwards to make sure that your eye line wasn't looking at something it wasn't supposed to look oh, wow. at. And while you're in the room taking the exam, you're not allowed to have water. You can't have pets. You can't have anything in the room. So I'm like, this is new. This is very bizarre. But um, so now I'm like, you know, Maybe I'll take it next next year and because it, it's offered twice a year. I'm like, maybe I'll take it in February because that seems like an interesting setup. And hopefully they'll work out the kinks by then because this online thing is new. So hopefully there won't be any glitches and maybe I'll take it next year. So who knows? Yeah, that is super. It's It's crazy how, you know, now we're finding out so many things that we can do virtually when before we thought it just wouldn't work. Exactly. And that kind of leads me to sometimes I get things stuck in my head and I just have to ask. So this is one of them. <laughs> what is different about your job now? Like you just said, Oh, well we shot a show and you went to location. I'm assuming, right. You, you would yeah. normally go to location. So now you're doing things through zoom. Are you doing the same type of things you would have done before? Like what, what do you, what do you do? Nope. Um, so normally we would have a lot of productions going and we would be in physical production, meaning we would actually be shooting shows. And we've ha- we shot shows all across the world. Like the Drone Wars show was shot in Croatia, for instance. And I don't necessarily have to be on set when we're shooting, but a lot of times I choose to be on set because especially if it's in a foreign country. I'm like, yeah, I want to go. You know, we were shooting something in St. Lucia a few years ago. I'm like, yeah, I want to be on set. I want to be in St. Lucia for two months. And that's what I ended up doing. I went to St. Lucia and was there for the physical production of the show. So now since March 13th, actually, it's been nearly impossible to physically shoot anything because now we have to add a new line to the budget, which is COVID-19 line. And that line would mean buying uh, protective gear, whether it's masks, gloves, et cetera, but also hiring either one or two or three people, depending on the size of, of the, the production, hiring additional people who are in charge of this thing, of taking temperatures on set every day, of making sure people are social distancing. But even that, that applies really for the crew and that could work well for the crew, but for the cast, how do you manage that? If people on on camera, you can't ask them to have masks on, right? (laughs) If you're shooting something and everything is happening normally, why are people wearing masks? You know, that just doesn't make any sense. So we stopped shooting back in March and we were hoping it would only be for, you know, a couple weeks, maybe a month, but it's been months now and we haven't been able to get back into production. 
Um, and part of it is a fear of lawsuits, honestly. And it's a fear that if someone gets sick on your set, then you're facing a lawsuit. The good thing that California has done is that people who contract uh, the coronavirus while they're working, they qualify for workers' compensation. And that's whether they, they got the virus on set or not. Now, there are a lot of uh, a lot more to it, you know what I mean, in terms of that person, because it's, it's a presumption that you got it. Uh, at work, but it's a rebuttable presumption that you got it at work. So it's not automatic, I should say. It's not. Um, so that's helpful in certain cases, but it still doesn't really cover you completely. Um, and then, you know, what happens if if someone gets sick, you literally have to shut down the entire production, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's just, we're at a point where we're like, okay, it's not worth it. We just have to wait. And so the way my job has changed now is that now I'm doing more development work. Um, so working from home is that, uh, and by development work, I mean, I'm creating new shows. Like I come up with ideas and then I sit down and develop them. And I think a lot of times people think, oh yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now that you have the idea, you have to think about it and see, is this a show? Is this a show that I can get one episode out of? Great. Is this a show that I can get five seasons out of? That's a different question. And then do you have these ideas that just get shot down? I'm sure. All the time. Every day. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yes. All the time. All the time. And then once you get the idea, you actually have to sit down. I usually, like, I put a pitch deck together. Once, once you throw the idea and they're like, okay, yeah, we can work with that. Then you start developing it. I put a pitch deck together and my pitch decks are like 25, 30 pages. That's pitching. That's, that's developing and, and saying, okay, this is how I see the show working. Act one is this act two is this act three is this, we get commercials here, commercials here, commercials here. These are the different characters that we have, even if it's unscripted, even if it's unscripted, like if, for instance, if I'm doing a reality show about your family, for instance, okay, it's a reality show about a family of four. The mother is the one who's the disciplinarian. The father is the one who's the caring one. This kid is the adventurer. This other kid is the dreamer. Like each one has a personality. And those are the personalities you're going to show people every single week, you know? And, and then from there, you have to be able to show that this has legs yeah, this is fun for one episode. It may be fun for one season, but you know, networks aren't interested in things that that have longevity. So you have to you while you're developing it, you have to think of season two, season three, season four, season five, season. <laughs> it's very involved. It's and then you have to think of what is the tone of this show? What other shows that are on television like it? What network would be interested in something like that? How are we going to shoot it? Like. What what colors are we going to use to, to in, in what textures are we get? It's all and so all of these things are what you put into your pitch deck. Correct. Oh, see, that does sound kind of fun. Like I'm I'm kind of about the details sometimes that I get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is fun because I enjoy I enjoy the work. Yeah, it, it, but I think sometimes people think it's it's oh you got an idea and that's it. There's so much more to it. 
And then I don't know Photoshop very well, but I still use other, like I use Canva, for instance, to build my decks. So you still have to have those skills because you need images, you need videos in there, you need all kinds of stuff in there. So yeah, it's pretty involved. So that's what I do now. And that's very different from what I was doing before. Very different. When you were in Ohio being an attorney and stuff, were you still writing? I was. I was um, writing mostly poetry, but I, I, at the time, I, I thought I wanted to be an actress. So <laughs> I was also doing little plays. I was starring in plays. I actually start, started, um, I was in plays when I was in Haiti, actually. Um, I, we, I was part of a theater group. And so we put on a few plays while I was a teen and, and in high school in Haiti. And so that continued when I was, once I moved to the United States as well. So yeah, even while I was an attorney, I was, I was doing plays and, and doing all kinds of other stuff. It's so interesting to meet everybody that I have met. And it's also so interesting to see how the, the loss has, has played a part in, I mean, there's some men that I've talked to too, that are real like go-getters, but I feel like a lot of the women that I've talked to are like just super go-getters and like really on top of it and just living life. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, it's hard sometimes. And I do have days where as much as I love the work, I do have days where I'm like, why am I doing all of this? I think people who have, you know, a spouse or children or whatever, it's, a, it's, it's kind of different because you kind of like, okay, I need to take care of these children. I need to do this for the children. And it, but when it's just you, you're kind of like, well, what am, I, am I doing this to prove this to myself? Like what? <laughs> it's so it, it, it does get hard sometimes to um, stay motivated and to keep pushing forward. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm here, I'm striving, I'm surviving. So. I think that you are definitely an inspiration. Thank you. Appreciate that. I listened to your podcast a little bit. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it more. How can we find you? I'm on Facebook. If you look for Martine Jean, last name J-E-A-N, I'll pop up. Unfortunately, it's a pretty common name in Haiti and in French-speaking countries like France. So there will be a lot of Martine Johns when you look <laughs> when you look me up. But my face will pop up, um, and then I'm on Instagram at Melange Media, which is the name of my company. Twitter also at Melange Media, and then my website MartineJean.com, where you can see it, all the work that I do. You can see you can learn more about my podcast as well, Filmbug podcast. It's also on my website. So uh, yeah, MartineJean.com is probably the easiest way to keep in touch. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you doing this. Um, I know you have other things to do. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good to meet you, Marcin. To meet you as well. Thank you. Bye. in Phoenix, Arizona. Find us on social media and any podcast platform. Music provided by Colin the Coco and the Revolving Birds. Studio provided by Fat Kid Productions. Check out one of the many shows available on our network. I'm your host, Stephanie Relevert. Thank you for listening to Parentless.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 